Bob's Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. It is Saturday morning. It is time for our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. James Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, with you. If you'd like to take part in the, today's program, 800-848-WABC is the number to call us, 800-848-9222. And, as always, there is news bursting from the seams. And our second hour, the Princess of Policy, the one and only, Her Royal Highness Diana Mee, will be joining us. Uh, yeah, we have a lot to discuss. Let us start with the most important story of the day for millennials. I recognize, and I don't mean to be exclusionary, that's a nice liberal word, but millennials, this is your most important story, maybe not so much for other generations. And that story is this. Avocado shipments from Mexico are resuming after the United States lifted its ban, the U.S. Department of Ag Agriculture is now resuming inspections of avocados from Mexico. That word came from the U.S. Embassy in Mexico City. That move allows the U.S. to resume, resume imports of Mexican avocados, which are in almost every supermarket across America, the ban went into effect Saturday after a USDA uh, inspector received a verbal threat. So, m- my millennial fans, your avocado toast is now safe from harm. There will be avocados for your avocado toast. Everything's cool. Relax. Other news. Of course, there was looting in Minnesota last night following the verdict in the Dante Wright case. The numbers weren't huge, according to news reports. About 100 protesters marched, and they are reported to march in near the uh, house, the home. It was a condo, actually, of the judge, Regina Chu, who issued the verdict that that is considered by the protesters to be too lenient. It means that the officer involved in this is probably going to be out of jail, Kim Potter, next April. And, you know, the family's really upset. They're continuing to speak about their upset. The police union in Minnesota praised the judge. All this is falling along predictable lines, as is the protest, one of the, apparently the looting wasn't bad. The looters hit a beauty supply store. Yeah, that is making some political statement there, all right? A beauty supply store looted in response to this. Why? Because it makes a social statement? Or because somebody just wanted cheap to get their hands on some beauty supply products that they could resell out in the street. Okay. If you'd like to comment on that verdict, by the way, feel free. We had some discussion about it yesterday on the program as it came down. 
This story, I think, is a little bit fascinating. New York City families are leaving some of the city's school districts, but not just any school districts, you see. Because most of the time, if it's if it's school districts where the failing schools are, who cares? It's like, okay, less, less of these kids to worry about. That's been the attitude toward the over 242 failing schools in New York's for generation. No one gives a damn about them. They can continue to fail. They can continue to churn out students that are not equipped to participate in society fully, in some cases, who are almost illiterate or functionally illiterate after years of schooling. Kids that are just being trained so that later in life they can enter the the carceral. That's the word that liberals like to use right now. The carceral system. And, and so that they can be mass incarcerated when they get older. That seems to be the concept behind allowing failing schools in New York to continue their ways generations now. We're not talking uh, in the last five years. We're talking for the last 30 years. No one cares about that. That's just the way it is. You know, we got a bunch of failing schools. Who cares? Who cares that these hundreds of thousands of kids come out every year unequipped to handle life, to work in a, in a workforce, in a competitive workforce? Who cares? They're just the dark ones. The the Hispanic ones, well, there's some white Hispanics too. Because mostly these failing schools you see are in in black or minority neighborhoods. Oh, yes, we do have segregated neighborhoods in New York. (gasps) What a shock. Anyway, back to the story. I haven't lost my place. New York City families are leaving some of the city's top school districts at an alarming rate. This, my friends, is alarming. It's not the failing kids that aren't showing up. Why? It's the good kids. They're going, going, gone. This story, by the way, is in the New York Post today. Families in some of the city's top school districts, oh, oh, oh no, are leaving the Department of Education at an alarming clip, according to state data. Alarming. We are alarmed. Mayor Eric Adams. Mayor Eric Adams, what's he doing speculating on? Isn't he supposed to be fighting crime? Yeah. Speculated this week that parents who ditched the city in its public schools are likely to return as soon as Gotham gathers itself. When is that going to be? But that ongoing flight, which is... Here's the crux of it, folks. Here's why this matters to the politicians. But that ongoing flight, which is hammering school budgets, is hitting traditionally popular districts especially hard. So you see, this is what the problem is. Elementary school enrollment in Manhattan's District 2, which encompasses affluent areas like Greenwich Village, Soho, down 10% this year, 17% over the last two. And then you go through other numbers. In 2020, 
over 13,000 kids this year, 16,000 kids in 2020 not showing up, and that really does affect budgets. Park Slope enrollment has skidded by 16% since the pandemic. And it is just really sending shivers up and down. In Chelsea, there's been a loss too, you see. So, So this is news. As I say, when the failing school district's kids don't show up, I think there's almost a sigh of relief. Oh, less of them we have to deal with. From From certain city officials and certain members of the teachers' union. Certain, not all. But when the affluent kids don't show up, OMG, we have a problem now. That's New York education, where once again, for generation after generation, it's okay if many children are left behind. Crime in New York, still out of control. Yesterday, there was an attack by an unhinged man, get this, with a history of attacking strangers randomly. And he's still on the street. Why is that, you ask? Well, this unhinged man, with the history of attacking strangers randomly, this time went after a four-year-old boy, hitting him in the head in Times Square. Women, two women, came to the defense of the four-year-old boy. And and they helped and they restrained him until police officers showed up. I wonder how he's, the, the guy's 34 years old. He's arrested, unprovoked attack. History of attacking strangers. One wonders if he's out on the streets again already. Or whether it's going to take another day or two. Because this time he hit a four-year-old. It's not just New York and our listening area is still Pennsylvania. You know, we can be heard in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is part of New York as far as I'm concerned, some of it. A Pennsylvania Uber driver, mother of four, mother of four, shot in the head during a robbery attempt. She begged for her life. I'm begging you. I have four kids, according to the dash cam. 22-year-old Calvin Crew of Penn Hills allegedly put a gun to the back of her head. You've got to be joking, she said, when she felt and reached back and felt the gun. The little thug miscreant told her to keep driving. She begged him, come on, I have a family. The little thug miscreant, alleged murderer, Oh, I've got a family too. Now drive. Do everything I say and everything will be all right. Yeah, everything will be all right. This thug was arrested on Thursday, charged with criminal homicide, robbery, tampering with evidence, 
they found the dash cam near the area where he had requested to be dropped off. This idiot, not even smart enough to get rid of the evidence. Typically, dumbass, thug with a gun. And, of course, nope, I'm not going to say it. Just look at the pictures. You'll see what I mean. Part of the culture I keep talking about. This culture that has to be changed. As was the guy that kicked the, that punched the four-year-old. Same culture. This culture of violence. This culture of the street life, of thuggery, of murder, robbery, that is glorified instead of shamed. We have political news, too, and I want to talk about these transgender swimmers. Because... I think anybody that, again, looks at the pictures understands what's really going on here. WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, with you. Again, you want to be part of the program? 800-848-WABC is how you do it. 800-848-9222. We are coming back right after this. Don't go anywhere. Bo knows politics. And so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Donna Summers brings us back here on WABC Talk Radio 77. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, with you. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, and we are so happy that you're here. Okay, I want to briefly uh, talk about this, these transgender swimmers that have been competing. Um, Yale's, uh, what's the name of this guy? I'm sorry, Isaac, Isaac Hennig and Leah Thomas, who have been, according to the headlines, clobbering the competition. Now, before I get into this, let me just say I am very, very sympathetic to people that suffer from dysmorphia who feel that their life isn't right and they want to get their life right, that they are perhaps trapped in a different body, or uh, that something concerning gender is not right. I'm not saying that it is all uh, just, I don't know, it is something I don't quite understand But I do believe that this is a reality, that there are people who are born and they feel out of place. I don't know whether this is, as some have said, a mental health issue that can be dealt with with mental health. I don't know what it is. I don't know. But I do know that for many people this is real. So I'm not making fun of transgenders. I don't ever want to be perceived as making fun of people that that are transgendered, but I do think that as a society, we have to we have to be fair, not just to people that are suffering from a disease, but be fair to the majority of the population. Bending over backwards and accommodating people sometimes is a good thing, but sometimes it's its own form of tyranny, the tyranny of the minority, where in this case, 
girls who have been competing for years and years in sports are being denied their chance to excel in their sport because they are competing against biological men. And there's no other way to put it. If you look at the pictures that are coming out of here, one of these so-called transgendered women was shown in a picture with his top off. And he could because he had no female mammary glands. He looked like a dude. Well, he looked like a dude because he is a dude biologically. Now, he may be moving into womanhood surgically and hormonically, and, and I'm sorry, hormonally. But he is still a dude. He's still a guy. Leah Thomas, I was surprised to find out some of the complaints raised by the other swimmers who have to keep quiet because they're afraid of being canceled. They're afraid of being labeled bigots. They're afraid of being of having their lives ruined if they speak about the injustice that they are facing. I was surprised to learn that some of the complaints that they have is that in the locker room, Leah Thomas strips down and she's still got a penis hanging off of her. If you have a penis, you ain't not a woman. Now, I do know that there are hermaphrodites. I know that. But this was a man who has a penis and who still has a penis. And it's still dangling there. And that makes him a man, not a woman. And all of this is a farce. And these women that are competing against these men are getting creamed by them. Because they, their bodies don't have the same muscle mass as these men. When you look at the pictures, these men tower over the rest of the team. Their arms are longer. Their limbs are longer. Because they're dudes. They're men. And what society is being told is ignore what you see. Ignore what you know. Ignore everything that you know about science. Ignore everything that you know about biology and accept this because it is a political acceptance acceptance that we are being asked to do that is not based on common sense, not based on science, not based on reasoning. And we have these institutions such as the NCAA who are going along with this to the detriment of women. Women are being treated like second-class citizens with this. They just like, just like, when it, sorry, for, you may think this is not a good comparison, but I think it is. Just like when it comes to immigration, the rights of legal American citizens and legal immigrants are put second over the alleged rights of illegal immigrants. Everything that is supposed to be right is wrong. The fair thing to do, obviously, and this is, again, common sense. I don't think that transgender people should be denied a role in sports, compete against other transgendered people. Let these transgendered men compete against other transgendered men. It's a fair competition. You know, we went in this country, once upon a time, the emphasis was only on male sports. 
that male sports received all the money in high schools and colleges. Females were like, okay, you just be the cheerleader. Go just cheer the guy. And yeah, 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 there's some female sports, but we're not going to really pay attention to that. Title IX changed all of that. And I supported, I support, after I became educated on it, I started supporting Title IX. Because if you have a daughter that's going to school and she wants to play sports, why should she not have the same opportunities as your son? And we should invest in in our girls, in our young ladies, so that they can blossom into life with the same kind of assuredness about their ability to achieve as boys do. They should have opportunities to explore their own potential so that their self-esteem, their self-confidence is fully intact as they, in a good way as soon as, the, as by the time they leave school. Title IX to me was a good piece of legislation. And all of that right now, all of these strides that we made for girls to be able to participate fully in the arena of sports are being upended by this incredibly naive position that allows transgendered men, some of whom still have their genitalia dangling between their legs, are competing with women. It is not fair to the women at all. And these women cannot speak up openly about it for fear. Once again, they're being bullied. This time they're being bullied by men who are transgendered as women, but who are still biologically men nonetheless. And again, I want to make it very clear. I have nothing against transgender people, not at all. I believe that transgender people should be accorded every single due respect that anybody else has. They should be not mocked and ridiculed because they have decided on a course of life that they think will make them happy. This is not about that. This is about being fair to the women of this country and to the women of the world. Now, Christy Nome is under attack from the White House because Christy Nome has signed legislation prohibiting in the state of South Dakota these policies that allow transgendered men to compete with women. So they, the White House, the Biden White House, sent out that Carrie Jean Paris to attack Christy Nome, and she pretty much said that 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 they should learn. Well, first of all, she she said that there were policies in South Dakota that quote unquote attack trans youth, ads attacking LGBT youth. That is not what is going on. They are protecting women. And then this this White House arrogant, snarky spokesperson tweeted, here's a start for you, Governor. Don't advance policies that attack trans youth. Don't fund ads attacking LGBT youth. Support POTUS agenda to enhance support for youth mental health needs with funding made available through the American Rescue Plan. Well, Christy Nome is not having it. This is one of the reasons I love this woman.
She went right back at this person in the White House. She said, Governor Christie Nome, we believe in fairness in South Dakota and are ranked number one in mental health by U.S. News. Care to comment on the numerous failures of your boss, Joe Biden? Inflation, constant foreign policy failures, stagnant job market, Fauci fatigue, gas prices. Care to take some lessons from our leadership? Yeah, way to go. And yeah, South Dakota, number one in mental health. I did not know that. Good for you, Governor Christy Nome. But folks, we have got to be unafraid to be fair. We, we should not let the girls of America, the women of America, be turned into second-class citizens in their own country. It is time to stop some of this madness. It is past time to this madness. James Golden, WABC Talk Radio 77, coming back right after this. Oh knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Four Tops, bring us back on WABC Talk Radio 77. Yeah. I just love this. Thank you for playing it. (laughs) Okay, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. I just got a text. And I had to ask, I had to verify this. I, are you sure? Are you sure? This is not the Babylon B, is it? Are you sure about this? Here is, let me put this in a nutshell. Apparently, two days ago, Canada, the country, the government there, the foreign policy office in Canada, issued a statement on Twitter because the protesters that protested in Cuba in July 21 are being sentenced. And here is what the Foreign Policy Office in Canada tweeted out on Twitter just two days ago. Now, keep in mind what was happening in Canada two days ago and what is happening today, this very day, the seizing of bank accounts. They're seizing crypto wallets. They're seizing these guys' trucks up there. They're arresting them. They're throwing them in jail. Here is what the government of Canada, the Foreign Policy Office in Canada, tweeted out two days ago. Quote, Canada condemns hashtag Cuba's harsh sentencing following July 2021 protest. And then you have the Canadian flag. Canada strongly advocates for freedom of expression and the right to peaceful assembly free from intimidation. We stand with the people of Cuba in their aspiration 
for hashtag democracy. That is what Canada had the audacity, the nerve to tweet out two days ago. Just amazing. I was just talking about that 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 idiot killer, alleged killer, the 22-year-old in Pennsylvania in the monologue. And we're going to get to your calls very shortly. And it reminded me of a story. And so I went into the stack from earlier this week of stories that I was unable to get to because of time constraints. And here is one that I had pulled out that I had wanted to get to but didn't have the time then. This was uh, on the 17th of February, Washington Times. New York Street gang members busted on fraud charges after rapping about COVID unemployment. Members of the Brooklyn-based Wu Gang were arrested this week on charges of trying to steal $21 million in pandemic unemployment benefits. And authorities used their own social media post to nail them. Last year, they were bragging about the scam that they used in a YouTube video. Federal investigators posing with stacks of cash and luxury vehicles. Federal investigators said they were doing this video in front of stacks of cash and luxury vehicles while singing, it was me and Porter, we was hugging the block, unemployment got us working a lot. Bragging, bragging about the scams that they were pulling on unemployment. Well, there was an investigation into it. Their scam ended up netting $4.3 million. Now, prosecutors are saying these guys in this Brooklyn gang who are rapping about their crime faced at least 10 years in prison, scamming the government, and then these dumbasses rap about it and brag about it on social media. And we've seen that over and over again. We've seen it over and over again. They don't even have, they leave school with not even enough common sense not to brag about their criminal activities. These idiots, these dumbasses, these thug hoodlum idiots who terrorize society, who steal, who rob, who murder, who loot, don't even have the common sense not to brag about their crimes. So they're busted. Now, remember, it was only a few months ago that Mr. Z, that would be Jay-Z, and some of the other rap, I guess, uh, elder statesmen of rap, are are trying to lobby in New York for a law that says that the prosecutors and the government cannot use what is in their art to help prosecute them. In other words, if they rap about their crimes, that shouldn't be allowed to be used as evidence in court. That's one of the things that Mr. Z and some of the other uh, elder statesmen of the rap 
industry are trying to get placed into law. I guess because enough of these dumbasses don't know how to stop rapping about their crimes. And so Mr. Z and the elder statesmen of rap want to protect these little gangster thug idiots by not allowing the evidence to be used when they brag in public about the harm they are doing to society. I'm telling you, the world is upside down. Let us go to the phones. Let's start in Yonkers, New York, with Brian. Good morning, Brian. James Golden with you here on WABC Talk Radio 77. Yeah, yes, sir. Oh, boy, I could talk on all the different topics you mentioned, but I I better start with what I told the screener. Um, that officer in Minnesota, that was such a shame. She never should have been indicted. Sure, she didn't mean to kill that person, but uh, he was fleeing. He was a felon. He was uh, a warrant. Was a warrants were out on him, and it was a tragedy, but she never should have been indicted or convicted. And that guy's family should have said to themselves, well, what did we do to help this on? Well, she wrote, she raised the thug. He 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 uh, brought it on himself by trying to flee. And um, but the other thing is, when I see the the, the tapes of it, the video of it, um, is policing different in Minnesota or something? I thought New York cops removed the person from the car, so there's no chance in him jumping back in. He was standing right by his door with it open, and it seemed to me that that all precipitated. Uh, the whole incident. And it looked like there were two other police officers standing by just looking at their iPhones. Um, I don't know. It just seems so tragic that, uh, you know, a procedure is different up there or something. That, I don't, I, procedures and, can be different in every jurisdiction, not just from uh-huh. state to state in every jurisdiction. But let me just say wow. this about that. I have, um, look, here, okay, I know I do quite a bit of judgmental talking about these thugs, hoodlums, and the rest of it. And I do. Mm -hmm. But I also do a lot of talking about the rule of law. We live in a society where even the criminals, even the 'er ne'er-do-wells, even the thug murderer dumbasses who 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 rap about their crimes are supposed to. Because of our Constitution, have Mm -hmm. a right to due process. Mm -hmm. We should always keep in mind that law enforcement officers are not the judge and the juries. They are mm-hmm. law enforcement officers. Now, I agree with you. When their lives are threatened, they have every not only right, they have an obligation to defend their lives. And I have said it many times. I will say it again. If you are resisting arrest, if you are appearing to have a weapon, and that is what a car is, a weapon that could injure police, and you're using it in a way, it's not going to end out well for you. And I've also said many times, and I'll say it again, the glorification of criminality that is occurring in, in, in black culture has to be stopped. If you stop raising young criminals, then young criminals won't have interactions with police. But every black person is not a young criminal. And so we have to keep in mind that, that, these, that there are also, look at this incident that happened at the mall the other day. There's a, a light-skinned Hispanic guy who punches the black guy first. I saw that video. Two white cops show up. They throw the black guy on the ground, this young teenager, handcuff him. And meanwhile, they let the the, the guy that looks like a white guy sit down and have a seat and watch, even though he was the guy that instigated this old physical altercation. Well, that's profiling. Now, and profiling to me is a double-edged sword. I look at some of these pictures that are coming out of these thugs 
and, and these murderers and these criminals. And if you look through the New York papers, it is overwhelming what you see, and it can't be denied. You could profile most of these thugs. So we have a lot of difficult issues in law enforcement. I don't believe that I'm not going to second-guess the idea that she was indicted. I'm not going to second-guess the idea, and even the judge said, look, this is a tragic mistake. The judge urged the family to have a little empathy for the cop, which I found odd, but they did, but she did, and she sentenced her to what she thought was a, a, a sentence based on what she did. And she said it was a tragic accident, but even a tragic accident has consequences. And that, I don't know. I, I'm just going to have to assume that the court was right in this and, and go with it, you know? So what do you think about that, Brian? Well, um, yes, that, that's all correct, what you, what you said. But I guess I'm trying to look on it upon the, um, uh, the, the Don Trace Wright's family side where uh, they also should have said, all right, listen, we, we, didn't, we didn't help with this. Uh, he, he's turned out this way. He's harmed people in the past. His warrants on him, and he's resisting. Well, well you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know that from you wouldn't know any of that from the family's remark. He was a saint, according exactly. to the family, and that. But isn't that the way that most families do? Most families want to ignore what the the negative consequences. There are very few families that step up and say, "You know, my son was a real thug, and he deserved this." Very few. So I think that part is understandable in a way because that's just who wants to admit your son's a thug, gangster. Ne'er do well. True, but one thing also to compare it with too is, although this isn't much of a comparison, um, if ever I had come home from, let's say, grammar school, and I said, "Oh, uh, the teacher was mad at me and gave me this and that," and my mother would first ask, "All right, well, did you do anything to bring this on? What did you say to her? What was so you know bad?" And then my my defense would crumble because then I'd have to admit that, "Oh, yeah, I, I said a dirty word or whatever." That kind of thing doesn't seem to happen with a lot of these. Let me tell you what my dad. Let me tell you what my dad told us when we were young. He said, "If I get a report that you misbehaved in school from a teacher, I'm going to assume that the teacher was right, and I'm going to beat your butt. And further, I'm going to come up to the school, and I'm going to beat your butt in front of your classmates. The teacher is right. While you're in the classroom, you don't disrespect your teachers." And that was what we learned. You have to respect authority. And if you have a complaint with the teacher, then you come to your parents and you let your parents handle it. That's what I was taught. But you don't act like you, no, it was discouraged. And, And by the way, when I was in first grade, one of my classmates' mothers did that. He misbehaved in class. She came to the school with the switch and lit him up in front of everybody. And to these days, they would throw her in jail. But that was how it was disciplined then. You respect the teachers. And guess what? Back in those days, we didn't have to worry about kids bringing guns into school and shooting each other or kids trying to, to, to beat their teachers up or shoot their teachers or shoot up the school. Because actually, there was a common respect for the teachers, and you understood when you stepped out of line, there were going to be some consequences, and you weren't going to like them. Right. That happened to us, too. In fifth grade, uh, a parent came in and did that to uh, his daughter, and she was a problem in school all throughout the 
the, the eight years she survived in grammar school. But she um, it was tragic to see, but it was it was cold for her, to be honest. But the change now is this. I have friends who are teachers, and tragically they say that what used to be the final straw would be where they'd say, well, you know, we're going to call your parents now, and usually over discipline problems, uh, sometime over academics, but that wouldn't be that bad. They tell me there's nobody to call anymore. They call to these kids' homes, and nobody of authority answers, and they never, they never well, get back. But 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 let's be let's be honest about that. A lot of times you have both parents working just to try to keep up with with especially now with inflation raising, but not it's not especially now that's been going on a trend for the last twenty five thirty years. But more to the point, sometimes the teachers call the parents. The parents come up and want to beat the teachers. It's everything's look i appreciate the call running short on time gotta go thank you for the call james golden wabc talk radio 77 coming back more of your calls right after this oh knows politics and so much more a true connection to real new york on 77 wabc cool and the gang bring us back here you want to get down yeah i do it's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Get down on it. And we're about to do that. That's JT, lead vocalist. All right, we got. I wish we could listen to the whole thing, but we can't. We have a guest on the phone. And this is a special guest for me because on Monday or Tuesday, we're going to drop a new podcast. And this is going to be one that those of you who want to understand the, understand the world of cryptocurrency need to pay attention to. But it's more than cryptocurrency. We're going to be talking about how the world is changing. The name of the podcast is The Future is Now. This man that you're about to meet is an expert. His name is... James Eisenberg, he's the Chief Investment Officer and Managing Partner of Interblock Capital Partners. He's a tech entrepreneur. He has run ventures here and overseas in India. He's a 25-year Silicon Valley veteran software executive. And he is the star, well, along with me, of the future is now, and he's on the phone. I, I called today, James, and I asked you to call if you had time, and thank you for, for, for letting us call you for a specific reason. The Canadian government, under Trudeau, these Emergency Power Act, are not only seizing and freezing people's bank accounts, they're seizing their crypto wallets. I didn't know that was possible. Did Of course you did. Can you explain to people what's going on here? Sure. Hi, Bo. It's good to be on the show. So let's back up a little bit. The um, we, We've all seen the truckers uh, being really the voice of freedom and opposing some of these uh, draconian laws that are coming out of the government in Canada. So the world is watching this, and the world supports the truckers. And the, the primary way they were doing that was through the GoFundMe platform. And I'm sure a lot of people have used the GoFundMe platform to send money to their friends or, or uh, people who need help. And they raised $9 million in a very short order. So this is really an indication of how much support is out there for speaking up against policies that they disagree with. 
Well, the government has a lot of power. And one of its powers is uh, through the control and monitoring of financial services. So Trudeau and his government put a lot of pressure on GoFundMe to not distribute that money. Now, this is money that's going to go for gas, for food, for bills to pay for these truckers while they are standing up for what they believe is right. And enough people supported that that they sent their money. So GoFundMe buckled, and they said not only would they not distribute the $9 million that hardworking people are sending to other hardworking people, but they said we're going to distribute it to charity of our choice, which is kind of insane when you think about it. So, uh, of course, there was a big outcry, and then GoFundMe pivoted again and said, okay, okay, we won't do that. Um, But meanwhile, the crypto folks got involved, and they created a campaign. uh, It's called Honk Honk Huddle. (laughs) And the idea was, okay, we're not going to use your financial system. We're going to use our financial system. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about crypto in the the podcast coming up. But the, the sense of it is that there's a new financial system that is growing up, that is outside the current financial system. It was created uh, through a paper that was written by someone named Satoshi Nakamoto in 2008 after the last financial crisis. And the concept was, we're going to create money that's out of the control of the government. So they can't print it into oblivion. Uh, they can't control it. They can't censor it. And this was called Bitcoin. And this was, this was done on a new technology, which is very exciting, called blockchain, that has so many other applications that I'm so excited to talk about with you in the coming weeks. But for Bitcoin, which is the first application on this blockchain architecture, the concept was that this is going to be electronic money. So the way that this money moves around is uh, kind of in the ether, and it works between uh, these things called wallets, which you hold personally. This is the first money other than something like gold or silver that doesn't have a counterparty. So when you hold it, when you own it, it's yours. It's outside the control of the government. Now, what's happening is that this uh, Hong Kong huddle uh, program is having people from all over the world sending Bitcoin, Ethereum, a few other um, cryptocurrencies and tokens into these wallets that are designated for the truckers. And the truckers can receive these coins and tokens in their wallets. The government has nothing to say about that. They can put out, and they did, the Financial uh, Services uh, Regulatory Commission in Canada put out a statement. They listed the wallets, and they said, you are forbidden to interact with these wallets. Now, who are they sending this to? They're sending this to banks, uh, payment processors, regulated um, current cryptocurrency exchanges inside the country of Canada, but they can't send it to the world. And, and the thing about crypto is it's a world phenomenon. It's a world currency. So the, the, they can't block uh, someone's ability to send and receive Bitcoin out of an independent wallet because this can happen in a coffee shop down the street and you wouldn't know what's going on unless you were party to the transaction. The challenge is cashing it out. So when you want to turn your Bitcoin into dollars, it's a little tricky because you have to go through a payment rail like a bank in order to do this. And and, and that they do control. And those banks are being controlled right now in Canada, and they're agreeing to, to seize these assets or freeze these assets. And that, by the way, is causing uproar. Trudeau is this is not being received 
very well in all quarters. I mean, there's a lot of uproar about this move. Absolutely. And and what's really crazy, and I think people are losing the thread a little bit of this conversation, is that this is not about terrorists, right? They, they, this is the first time this Emergency Economics Act uh, was was uh, activated, I believe, since the 80s. So, right. And, you know, the since his father did it. Yeah, since his father, Trudeau, did it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I, I don't know that, but it wouldn't surprise me. So, so what we're getting at is, is it a terrorist act to peacefully protest against a government that is taking very extreme action against its people? Is that a terrorist act? So that's the question, because they're saying it is a terrorist act. And when they push the terrorist act button, they can grab everything of yours. They can lock you completely down. You hear about people being deplatformed from YouTube and Twitter. Now we can deplatform people from their money because we have a centralized financial system. Crypto is designed not to be a part of this system. So, so what can these truckers do? They can get their Bitcoin. They can move it around. They can bring it into the United States exchanges and cash it into dollars. There's, there's all sorts of things you can do as soon as you leave the Canadian border. And when you're talking about the Internet, it's no problem to leave the Canadian border. Right? This is kind of why China was trying to ban Bitcoin, because they have a lot of capital controls in their country. They don't want to see their uh, yuan leaving via uh, an email, which is basically what you can do with crypto. So it's going to be interesting to watch this play out to see to what extent this will be successful. And also, the crypto people are so smart. These are some of the best engineers in the world that are working on this problem. And and a lot of times they're not doing it for the money. They do it because they're libertarian and they believe in human rights and freedom. And so they are going to create pathways for these truckers to be able to get their crypto into into their local Canadian currency uh, so they can just live and pay their bills. So it's, this is actively happening right now. This is really happening in front watch. of us, which is why I'm so glad you were able to join us. Look, the podcast is going to come, and we're going to be doing more of them. I invite all of you, when this podcast comes this coming week, on Monday or Tuesday, the future is now to join us. James, we got to run. Thank you so much for explaining this to us. And I am so happy, again, that you have clarified what I thought Canada had just seized it, and that was the end of it. Thank you for the clarification. James, thanks for your time. My pleasure. Good to be there. Bye-bye. All right, folks, listen, we have another full hour to go. We are going to talk about if you're on hold, stay on hold, I urge you, because we're going to be taking so many of your phone calls. And the next hour, we've got an interesting policy, not just policy, policy and cultural discussion coming up with Her Royal Highness, our very own princess, Princess Di. By the way, Princess Di had an amazing article that's on the Fox News website. And the article is concerning five things that Rush Limbaugh taught us that we should remember in dealing with liberals. You can find that on the Fox News website. So we'll be speaking with Princess Di when we come back. We're going to take more of your calls. We've got a lot more news to go. I am so excited. We've got some amazing podcasts. The On the Border podcast, we are breaking news that you can find nowhere else about what's going on on the border. Todd Benzman is with us. We now have a science podcast that science is golden, that is out of this world, literally and figuratively, and we're introducing this week, The Future is Now, with James Eisenberg, who you just hold. Keep it right here on WABC Talk Radio 77. 
James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdy. Glad you're here. We're coming back for our number duo right after this. Don't go away. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome to our number duo, our second hour here of the Saturday morning radio extravaganza with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, 77 WABC. If you'd like to join, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. And this coming half hour, we will speak with the princess of policy, the one and only Diana Me. There has been, I got tweets, I mean, I got direct messages at 8.49, 8.47 that have come in, we have what I used to call an Arkansas, perhaps. Another Epstein, French model agent pal of Jeffrey Epstein, found hanged in prison cell. Woohoo! The French model agent who was charged with securing girls and women for billionaire pedophile Jeffrey Epstein was found dead. Murta, gone Saturday in a Paris prison cell. Jean-Luc Brunel, 74, was found hanged in his cell at La Santé, where where he had been remanded to custody since December 2020. He was awaiting trial. That trial now will not happen. He either hung himself or quote-unquote, hung himself, or some might believe that someone did it for him. And any that this is a, what we call in, in, in political parlance an Arkansas. Well, interesting. He won't be testifying. The beat goes on. There's a story. <laughs> oh, man, this is just, this is just unreal. And you know who's never going to be called to, to question? I mean, they got uh, P- Prince Andrew. He had to do the settlement. We talked with Mark Stein about that. By the way, Mark Stein is with us every Tuesday on our Tuesday show. We talked about with Mark Stein about that. And Mark Stein and I were marveling at the fact that Prince Andrew has become the face of this Jeffrey Epstein scandal. Meanwhile, Bill Clinton who, if you remember, Jeffrey Epstein had a portrait of Bill Clinton in a blue dress with high heels hung in his Manhattan print. Uh, it's the weirdest picture. If you haven't seen it, you should actually Google it or, or find it on a search engine. This picture of Clinton in the blue dress and high heels that Epstein had hung in his place. But anyway, you know Bill Clinton's never going to be called into account for why he was on what they call the Lolita Express. And there have been a few other big names that used to fly around with Jeffrey Epstein. And they're not being called to account either. Amazing. More New York. Well, this is California. A Southern California man arrested three times over 16 hours. And this is just, again, the turnkey, let them out, let the criminals out justice system that the Democrats have ushered in in almost every blue city 
in America. We are going to get to your calls. In fact, you know what? I, I spent the the last part of the hour with James, and we are going to, I guess, let's do some calls now before Princess dies, and then we're going to take some calls after Princess dies as well, and then I've got a few other news stories. Let's go to Karen in Rockland County, New York. Karen, welcome. Thank you for holding. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. Uh, this thing with these rappers, you know, they don't want to be held accountable for the words that they use in their songs. Why? Everybody else is held accountable. I mean, nobody wants to be responsible for anything today. It just drives me crazy. And then to force, you know, you know just regular society to go along with the, the transgender stuff and this. and Yeah, fine. If they want to do that, that's fine. But why throw, Why does it have to be thrown in my face all the time? Because your face doesn't matter to the left. That's why. Because everything that the left does is designed not only to meet their uh, ideological needs, but as they move through it, part of what they do continuously is make sure that people on the right are quite unhappy with the way they go about it because they enjoy seeing the turmoil that these things cause. That's why. They don't care about your face or anybody else's face. They only care about their own ideological uh, objectives, period. Thank you so much for the call. Let's go to Ralph in New Rochelle. Ralph, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77 with James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. Good morning, Mr. Golden. I just wanted to go back to the caller a few calls back about disciplining the children and how today the children are taught to report the parents if they should get a little spanking for being bad that today it's hard because people are worried about, are you abusing your child or you're disciplining your child? I mean, when I was younger, the threat from my mother was wait till your father gets home. (laughs) Not that he would beat me, but if I got a spanking those few hours after school till my father got home from work, you thought about what you did today. It just goes forward because children have no discipline. When they become young adults, they realize the authority doesn't matter. The state wants to take over raising your children and how you raise your children. And you know and- something, Ralph? Let me, let me just stop you there because I'm going to grab a few more calls. But that is exactly why what is happening in these school boards around the country is so vital. I think we are at a point right now where parents are finally saying, okay, enough, or at least on the conservative side, enough. We've had enough. We're going to do this. We're going to come back. We're going to take over these school boards, and we're going to start to turn this pendulum back. Now, I I had to laugh when you said, wait till your father gets home, because my mom said that too. Now, my mom switched me sometimes, and it was still, wait till your father gets home. You haven't heard the last of this one. So I totally hear you. Rob, Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77 with James Golden. Good morning, James. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. Yes, it's definitely on topic with with the switching. It's the fear of a parent. My like my mom would say the same same thing. Wait till your father gets home. My my parents were immigrants from Ireland. They str- they struggled here. They came here with nothing. They raised three good kids, but it was always the fear. I could have went one way or the other because I grew up in Newark, New Jersey. I could have went. I could have been on the streets. But it was always the fear 
of my father or my mother. I'll tell you the truth, I would rather be disciplined by my father than my mother because my mother, she was a tough Irish woman. And it was always the fear in the back of my mind. If I did something, what was the consequences would happen to me from my parents? And, and I have raised two beautiful daughters, great kids on their own. But now I see with other children, they don't discipline. They talk to them. But there's always you have to have a fear in the, in the back of your mind. What is the consequences if I do something bad and humiliate my parents? And I tell you what. Thank God for that, because I could have went one way or the other. Well, I'm and, glad and you I, went I, the I, way you, you did, Rob, and thank you for sharing that. I wonder what other people have to say about that. You can give us a call, 800-848-WABC. We're going to head to a break right now. When we get on the other side, Princess Di joins us. Don't go anywhere. Now, here's the soul of excellence, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. It's time for Radio Royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. Her Majesty, the one, the only, the beloved, our very own Highnessness, Princess <laughs> Diana. Princess Di, welcome again to the airwaves, Your Majesty. James, Knight of the Golden Order, I dub you the Duke of Bow. <laughs> the Duke of Bow, huh? Hey, I'll take that. Yep. But what, what do I get out of it? <laughs> hey, hey, hey I got, Diane, I got to ask you a question here. There yes. is a story that I don't understand. I, I shouldn't say I don't understand the story. I read the story, and I said to me, something's wrong with this story because I felt uneasy about it afterwards and i and i'm like what what i couldn't identify whether i was trying to be guided into to something or not here's the story the gop lawmakers are pushing a high tech fraud proof ballot system i said well okay that's great it's holographic foil special ink it's sensitive to temperature changes it has nearly invisible stealth numbers that can only be located using ultraviolet or infrared light. So in other words, you would be able to really, you couldn't fraudulently come up with fake ballots on this. This almost like what they do with the currency. And I would think that this would be a good thing, but the way that this was reported in the Washington Post, it, it's almost like it's bad. <laughs> Well, it is bad if you are a liberal. <laughs> so this is a fascinating, fascinating story. I'm so glad you sent it to me as to how this process works. This is a warning to the left from actually from, in my opinion, the deep state who has clearly seen a problem in the making because journalistically the story makes no sense even the headline listen to this subhead when you read GOP lawmakers are pushing high-tech fraud proof ballots the subhead is 
a Texas company could be the only supplier. Now, this is not journalism. This is a could be, maybe, whatever. This is, this is not how journalism works. In journalism, you report what is, not what could be. The entire piece is an alarm on this new couple of states, three or four. Some legislators have proposed, just proposed, the idea of a fraud-proof ballot. Apparently, this one particular legislator, Mark Fincham, has spoken to other Republicans in other states, and he had a meeting with a company, uh, Authentics is the name of it, just to basically say, hey, what could we do? I've been hearing these complaints where people are worried about fraud. What's possible? And so they had this informal meeting and came up with some ideas, and he has a proposed bill. Now, I know you know how legislation works in this company, in this country. There are thousands of proposed bills all over right. the nation in state legislatures, and not, they don't go anywhere. Right. They just bubble up from elected representatives, and when there is a, a push of, of voters behind something, it gets more momentum. But this really has there's been a couple of proposals in a few states and all of a sudden the washington post has this very long piece of all the horrors that could happen and you know as you said when you read it the horrors are that they could basically uh do away with fraud in elections <laughs> and, it's like, and then you have the washington a- in, in the same article they're saying well fraud has never been a problem well okay so what if you come up with a fraud-proof ballot, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with having yes. something that's fraud-proof? Yes. yes, and that's common sense. Most people, you know, who heard this, that, well, okay, this is a sentence that you refer to. This has never been a problem in modern American history. There is no evidence that counterfeit or fake ballots have been a problem in American elections. That's the Washington Post. And that was, you know, the normal reaction is, well, all right, if there's no problem, then what are you worried about if we have this new ballot with, you know, kind of markings that could be read by infrared or ultraviolet light, which, you know, it's something that is done in passports and currency. So this technology clearly exists well. This has been a bat signal to the left that to watch these, because let me tell you what really annoyed me was the sentence that says, Mark Fincham, who is the guy who's mainly featured in this article, an Arizona state rep spearheading the initiative said in an interview that he developed these ideas. He talked to the Washington Post. He, the Washington Post got a heads up that this was happening in a few states, and so they called, they called him. He's a state rep, and he needed Rush Limbaugh's advice beforehand. <laughs> Do not think these people are your friends. And he clearly just basically, oh, yeah, this is what we're looking at. This is what we're going to do. This is, we had a mock out. We, we, we talked to this one company, and this is the company, and this is where they are, and this is what they can do. And so basically, the Washington Post took that information and just now has broadcasted so that the entire institutional apparatus of the left is going to be on guard on this legislation that really they are going to want to strangle in the crib 
because this could be the end of what they've been doing, which is playing games in elections for a long time. All right, let's move on. Thank you. And that's why I felt so uneasy after I read this. I'm like, what is going on with this? Okay, Democrat hit 30 Democrats, the party, has hit 30-year high for House retirements. Is this a real problem for them? I've watched a few weeks ago the number was 23. Then it went to 24. Today it's 30. 30 Democrats are saying, no mas, we're out of here, adios, sayonara, goodbye, had enough, bye-bye. Yes, it's a problem for them. It is all of a piece with the other problems that they uh, are facing, which are all connected, which is Biden's poll numbers and, you know, their, quote, stalled policy agenda. In other words, their failed bills that haven't gone anywhere. And the historical trend, which is that the midterms, the the power, the uh, president's party loses power in midterms historically. So, yes, they are facing a problem and the retirements are one indication of the red wave coming. I want to say something, however, they reference in The Hill this article that this is the most since 92 and there were a lot of retirements before 94. I really want to give credit to our friend and mentor, Rush Limbaugh, because he's the one who battled the political landscape to what is basically a draw between the parties, starting with, as he was called, the majority maker for the 94 election when the Republicans for the first time in 40 years gained the majority in the House. This was due in most part to Rush Limbaugh. Exactly right. Explaining to people what was going on. And so there was this new knowledge among the voters of what exactly was happening. And so the Republicans won in 94. And this back and forth now, since then, now Rush didn't see it this way. He felt that he had failed sometimes. He wouldn't even say that because he he saw that his ideas was were not always dominant. And but he battled these two parties to a draw. And so now we are, thanks to Rush and his knowledge that he engendered among voters, that it looks to me like one of his legacies is going to be the Republicans are sweeping back into power in the House, which is going to stop Biden's agenda cold. Love it. And that is accurate as all get out, of course, which is why we so appreciate you. Last one we'll do. Uh, Republicans who voted to impeach Trump might be in less peril than people think. Oh, they might have a chance. Now, I was a little shocked this week when Kevin McCarthy endorsed Harriet Hagerman, who is uh, uh, Trump backed her to uh, go up against Liz Cheney. And of course, that has upset the left. How dare the House Republican leader actually in, don't uh, endorse an opponent to an incumbent, especially their hero, Liz Cheney. So they're a little, they're just annoyed with the whole thing anyway. But now comes this article, well, you know, Trump endorsed him, so what? All of these Republicans who voted for Trump, they, come on, they might win anyway. Trump doesn't have that much power. None of this really means anything. What do you think here? Well, this is why Henry Olson, who's actually a conservative, 
So he is actually coming at this is this is really a just flat out objective political analysis, I think. The other thing to mention is Elise Stefanak this morning endorsed uh, Liz's, Liz Cheney's challenger as well. And she is the one who has been put in charge of a lot of the financing for these individual races. So that is a good thing. That's right. That is New York Representative Elise Stefanik, yes. who is now in-house leadership due to the fact that she was able to raise so much money and due to the fact that she organized very successfully a lot of Republican women coming yes. into the Republican Party. So she was she earned this. She, it wasn't yes. given to her. She earned her position in leadership. And she is a spitfire. So the, the fact that she came out and said what she said this morning is a wonderful thing. Now, let me tell you some of the uh, advantages that Henry Olson, Olson put, points out. One of them is money for these incumbents. Uh, Liz Cheney, Cheney has, has raised almost five million bucks, right? Million. Yes, four point seven million. That is an advantage. However, it's not the only advantage. The other advantage, especially in her state, is that in the primary, you only need a plurality. And Hageman or Hageman, however you say her name, hasn't yet cleared the anti-Cheney field. So that is one of the ways that the Republican state apparatuses often sweep aside conservative candidates and that they just flood the zone with other candidates. So you split the anti-incumbent vote. So if you only need a plurality, Liz can squeeze in if she even gets 30 percent. So that is a possibility. And the other thing in Wyoming is that there's cross-party primary voting. Democrats can can vote in that. So those three so elements So in other words, they can do an Operation Chaos. They can do yes. an Operation Chaos. They yes, can have Democrats may. come over. I don't over. think so, though. Ultimately, it will win. I think she's out. But I think that it's important that Henry Olson pointed out there are these things. These state parties are old school, just, you know, raw politics. And so they are able to often sweep aside something that's popular among their own voters by playing these games. And those three things are the case in several of the states where you would think the impeachment vote would hurt the person. I think he's incorrect. And he kind of ends the piece saying Trump's candidates may still sweep the field. And I think that they will. Because you cannot underestimate the value of a Trump endorsement. Well, I certainly hope that is the case. I am so disgusted. And I'll tell you what else. In addition to those that voted to impeach Donald Trump, every one of the 13 rhinos that voted for this infrastructure bill that gave Joe Biden a lifeline, every single one of those needs to be primaried out of office. Every one of them. Amen. Amen. And don't forget, in the Senate this week, those four rhinos who basically just left and weren't there to vote when the vote came up to get rid of Biden's vaccine mandate, they had some Democrat support. This probably would have passed. And four rhinos, Mitch McConnell allowed to go on a rhino type of trip, and they were not there. So those four votes were absent. And so Biden's mandate stood and that is the kind of thing that we really have to focus on as a party and as voters, because the sabotage by this rhino class has been ongoing. 
Princess of Policy Dynamy, thank you so much for being with us. We will speak with you uh, next week. Again, Your Majesty, we so appreciate you. Have a great day. You too, Sir James. Thank you. Diana me, ladies and gentlemen, our Princess of Policy, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, with you here on WABC. Coming back, your calls, more news. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Don't go away. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, is on 77 WABC. James Golden with you here on WABC Talk Radio 77. Commodores bring us back a brick house. Boy, I think maybe, you know, this song might get canceled if it came out today. Anyway, let's head back to the telephones. John Staten Island. Welcome WABC Talk Radio 77 with James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdy. What's up? Mr. Snurdy, quick uh, comment I was going to make. We're into $30 trillion, which the news didn't pick up, that Biden now is responsible for. They can blame me on the other president, but they don't want to keep that out. But my point is this. you got $30 trillion. They passed hundreds of millions, billions of dollars to universities, private corporations, here, there. All this money is sitting in the bank. Is it going to a savings bank making 0.002%, or are they handing it over to hedge fund advisors like Goldman Sachs, BlackRock, or Solomon, whoever the big brokers are, and making 10 to 15% on the interest while it's sitting in the bank account? I think all that money should be going, all the interest should be going right back to paying the debt. If they're taking the regular money, the other money should be being paid back to debt. Because I can't afford 90000 Everybody's kid and grandkid can't afford 90000 You know, the question of where this money goes, and, and you're talking about number one, let's talk about the national debt for a minute. Do you think, John, that the national debt is ever going to get paid back, those trillions upon trillions upon tens of trillions of dollars? Do you think it's going to get paid back? Well, honestly... <laughs> it has to. Otherwise, no, it doesn't. There's a group of people that are going to no, take it over doesn't. the countries. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It can be forgiven. Do you hear these people right now talking about? Oh, let's just forgive the student loans. Let's just forgive them. Let's pretend it never happened. This is, you know, the fight. I'm going to hold off on answering your question because I need to do a little research actually on it because I want to answer it accurately. I don't even know whether the money exists in the first place anymore. When Richard Nixon took this country off the gold standard, that was perceived as a good thing. Now, what backs American currency? The full faith and credit of the United States. That's what backs our currency. In other words, our currency is now based on something that is intangible as opposed to something that was tangible. And since then, what we have seen from both parties, but particularly the Democrats, 
is this wanton spending spree with no accountability, with no real emphasis on checking the spending. So to me, I've often said right now we're living in an age where the government is playing with monopoly money, and so are the people. We all trust that money is there, but really, what is backing this money? It's monopoly money. Because at any given point, for all these kids with these student loan debts, right now Democrats are saying, okay, let's just forgive it. Let's just forget it. It's like, like it never happened. Now, the people that are owed the money are going to suffer, but what is the impact on the financial system itself? I don't know. And these are the kind of things, too, that I'm going to be talking about. The Future is Now, the, the podcast with with James Eisenberg. We, we have to get a handle on what exactly money and currency is. And that is why the millennials are taking off with this cryptocurrency so much, because they don't trust, they have an inherent distrust of the financial system and Folks, I cannot explain the blockchain economy as well as you were going to hear James Eisenberg explain it. But this thing called the blockchain economy is going to have a bigger impact on the economic state of the world as the Internet did. Things are changing and the future is now. Things are changing into a new economic system right before our very eyes and ears. This is not... A, remember when crypto first came out, you had all these banks and all these experts saying, oh, this stuff is never going to last. Oh, this stuff is crap. This stuff is just some make-believe bold crap. It's not going to be here. We're going to be still... Guess what? Major banks around the world, including some of the banks that are down-talking... Cryptocurrency now positioning themselves with crypto. Some of the biggest banks in the, and they're still out bad mouthing it in public while they position their banks to take advantage of currency. Things are changing. And I didn't understand this stuff. The first time I read an article about Bitcoin was in uh, the New York Times. I read this long article. I left the article more confused than when I entered it in. They talked about all this Bitcoin being mined. I'm like, what the hell? How do you mine something on a computer? If you mine something, you go, you take your pickaxe, you go and, and hit the rocks, and you maybe strike gold or silver or something. How do you mine something on a computer? Folks, we are living in a changing world that is changing rapidly, so rapidly it is difficult to keep up with. And our economy is about to do, in the next five, ten years, a ma- it is not ours. The world economy is about to do a major transformation, moving into a blockchain economy. And this is going to have, I'm not saying that money is going to be ever obsolete, physical money. But I'm saying things are changing. And that's one of the things, I'm just at the beginning of trying to understand what those changes mean and what those changes are. And hopefully, as I learn, I can help uh, some of you that have the same questions that I do. What is all this stuff, what does this really mean? And what is it? Anyway. 
Let's go to Sherry in Bayside, WABC Talk Radio 77 with James Golden. Hi. Hi, Sherry. Okay, I just, I just want to say a few things. I think a big problem is that people have no self-respect for themselves and no respect for others. And I think we have to be grateful for whomever and whatever we have in our lives. And I think we have to pray more. Sherry, I think you're absolutely right. Everything that you said is dead on right. And definitely, the more prayers, the better, because we in this world need help. And we always have. That's part of the human condition. Sherry, thank you so much for the call. George, Rockland County, New York. How are you, George? Welcome, WABC Talk Radio 77. Well, good morning, Mr. Golden. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. So I just want to f- kind of put out a question, maybe a comment. Uh, I just read today again in a paper, men uh, faces hate crime charges in an attack on an Asian woman. Okay, this happened... Uh, January 19 in Brooklyn, in uh, uh, what I believe was a Clinton Hill neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 67-year-old uh, Asian woman going to the store. Here comes this man yelling, cursing, and came and punched her, okay? Uh, you know, when the police asked him how come, uh, he claimed Chinese people are not supposed to be in this country and, and that they are and they look like measles, okay? That's the district attorney quoting him, okay? So uh, I'm saying it, okay, just as a sample here, okay? I notice, and to me, it's just a new phenomenon. Uh, It's something that is really this attacks on religious uh, Jewish people, on Asian, uh, and it all comes, uh, I would say, in the majority of the cases, from African-American, maybe some Latinos. But when you are uh, uh, reading about it or seeing it on TV, the race factor of the attacker is always, always, always not covered. They will cover the race uh, part of uh, the victims, but never uh, the attacker. I like to say that I believe this is essential. This is coming from the progressive Democratic Party, you know, because of a variety of uh, reasons here. And instead of fighting the issue, it just perpetuated it. And, uh, and I was just wondering if you have any comment on it or anybody else want to talk about it. This is something that should be really uh, stopped, okay, because... You know, right now it's those groups. You never know when it will spread to some other uh, other groups. We are all different. We all have different background here. And if you let something is perpetuate, okay, it just gets worse. The last thing I like to say, uh, Mr. Golden here, okay, is that I believe there is somebody in those community that is stocking hate. There's somebody there for whatever reason uh, in those community is that uh, makes these people go and do what they're doing here. Interesting enough, generally people think, oh, it's just a young person. In this case, this was a 52-year-old uh, man that attacked a 67-year-old woman, okay? So it's no longer, well, it's just, uh, you know, kids will do what kids do, okay? It spreads. Thank okay, you let me, you, you put a lot on the table and let me address it. Um, 
first of all, we don't ever see a complete picture of anything from the press. And this is one of the things that I have to be careful about, too. I have been noticing, as I, and I pointed out, the number of disproportionate numbers of pictures of black people that are put in, in these, in these uh, print newspapers every time a crime is committed. It almost gives the impression that the only people committing crimes in America are black people. Now, let us be honest about something. In some of these blue cities, the disproportionate number, and I say disproportionate, disproportionate is an important word. There's a disproportionate number of crimes that are being committed by African-Americans, which is why I continue to say we have to, in the African-American communities, it is not one thing, it is multiple communities, we have to address this problem. No one's going to do it for us because it is a cultural problem. That's number one. Also, in some of the black communities, there is a problem where racism is tolerated. We see that racism every day. We see these remarks about white people, these generalizations about white people, these generalizations about other people, Asian people, as you mentioned, that are allowed to be spewed with hatred and impunity. And there is no pushback against them because of these stupid ideas that were promulgated by the American left that, oh, black people can't be racist because they're the victims. Well, no. Anybody can be racist, and we're seeing that racism pop up in far too many circles. Now, there's also something that sometimes we look at race as the thing when it's not race, actually. If you look if through another lens, we might see something. For instance, are most of these crimes by people of low intelligence? Oops, sorry to say, I'm not supposed to say that. Are people that are uneducated? that come through, for instance, these failing schools in New York City, completely don't know how to uh, deal with society. Are they? I don't know. But it could be. If you go around and you look around the world, for instance, some of the problems that we see here that we would commonly say, oh, that happens in black communities. Well, if you go to Britain in some communities, it's happening in white communities. The same kind of thuggish behavior, the same kind of glorification of criminality. If you go in Asia, and I've been in parts in Asia, it's happening in their lower class communities as well. It's the same thing. You hear their rap music is the same kind of garbage that our rap music is. Their kind of influences are the same. Their media influences are the same kind of garbage that we get in American media. You know, I if you scroll through... Any of these channels, I don't care what they are, even even Acorn, which is British programming, or Netflix, or or Amazon, the majority of the stuff that's put on there, I go through there, and I wonder why I'm paying for subscriptions, because most of the stuff I don't want to watch, because it's either some perverted serial killer, something or another, some sex pervert, some... It is like the darkest, and I don't mean that racially, ha ha ha, it is like the most perverted view of mankind if i see the word what uh, um what is it a post apocalyptic world that's it's like all of this stuff is dismal dreary perverted evil it is in in so much of a contrast to the shows that we and, and i don't want to sound like an old man but but look the programming has changed there was a time in america where 
people that were creating programming made sure that there was a moral component in it. They saw their job as not just telling stories, but telling stories that would help educate and to help uplift. Now, if you look at what's coming out through most of the media, it's like let's drive humanity to the lowest point of depression and depravity that we can. So I know this is the long way around your question, but here it is. Hate is the problem. Too many people in America, and they are not the majority of any racial group. The majority of African Americans have nothing against Asians or anybody else. The majority of white people in America have nothing against anybody else, despite all this bull bull stuff about institutional racism. Most people just want to live and let live. The American people are a good and great people. And the majority of us just want to live our lives to prosper, to raise our families in safe communities, to educate our kids. That is most of America. But we do have pockets of minorities in America, and some of them are economic, socioeconomic minorities. Others you can define racially that are taught that they're the victims, that they're entitled, that they don't have to abide by the law, that they can glorify criminality, that they can to lead these depraved lives with no consequence. This is what happens, by the way, when a society decides that, oh, it's really not important. God is not an important, quote-unquote, concept in our lives. Morality is not important. Well, America was built for a moral people. And for the most part, most Americans live with that moral compass. But what we see through the media and through our political system is immorality on parade. So I'm not surprised by the things that we see now. There's still so much more I want to say, but time's running out. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, back with you. More calls after this. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, is on 77 WABC. Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. We're kind of having a Motown Saturday. Dancing in the Street brings us back. I just got word of something that is excellent. Um, There is an article today in The Federalist that is quite incredible. It is written by Margaret Cleveland, and it totally debunks the media coverage coming from the left that there's nothing to see here with this Durham report. That all this is just fake. All this stuff that, that you've seen over the last few days coming back, basically trying to, to draw the, the wagons and, and support and cover Hillary Clinton and all of this. Well, this article tears it apart. I reached out to Margaret, Margaret earlier today and asked her if she would come on the show on Monday so that she can take you through how the media is trying to pretend that there's nothing in the Durham report to be concerned about. And she has agreed she will be on Monday. So Monday, we will talk Durham report, and we will talk about the way that the leftist corrupt media is trying to frame this 
to get this story off the headlines and to make the American people think that there's nothing serious here. So be, please join us on Monday, Pat, please. Now, let us go back to the telephones. My dear Gracie, welcome. Gracie, hi, hi, darling. Hi, love. Listen, first of all, thank you so much for having uh, Diana and uh, and Mark and this lady, because we have to know what's going on so, so we can explain it. Now, this is what I wanted to say. Dear Rush, father of modern American conservatism, rest in peace. You have left us far too soon, and therefore we, your ditto heads, and rush babies have to be out there, and we have to be ready to tell the truth that the media is not telling or twisting. So thank you, thank you, Rush. Thank you, thank you, Bo, Sir Bo, for getting these guests done, because we need the words. We need the facts. We're just ordinary people out here. We can't read everything the way you do. So God bless you and thank you. This was a hard week for me. I, it was, Gracie, it was a hard week for me and so many others, too. You should see my Twitter feed. Um, people have some of them. Of course, you have one or two haters, but for the most part, the outpouring of love for Rush on the anniversary of his death, I'm telling you, it was just amazing. So thank you. Thank you, Gracie. We so appreciate you and love you. Thank you, Gracie. Appreciate it. Let's go to Mario on Long Island. Mario, you've been waiting a while. What is on your mind? Good morning, sir. Thank you for sharing your first grade upbringing experiences with your father and mother. I share the same disciplines and belief systems that you were brought in. I was brought up in those same environments. The reason for my call, and first I'd like to say that I learned about what I'm about to say uh, from Sid and Bernie prior to the big game. Speaking of the big game, Bo, during the big game there were two. There were two superstar Grammy Award winners on that big game show, one of which has rapping lyrics that uh, says, kill the police, that kind of stuff. It's like NWA stuff. And the other one is a plays, portrays a queen drug kingpin, queen pen on a Netflix series where she actually kills people. And like, what, what message are you sending here? All right, now, I Mary, mean, let, me, we, let me give Mary, let me cut Mary J. Blige, because uh, 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 that's who you're talking about as the Queen Kingpin on a television series. It's an acting role. And people can take acting roles and be a villain in an acting role because that's what the role calls for without having that reflect their own personal values. I mean, look at some of the roles that Denzel Washington has taken. Look at some of the roles that your favorite, look at some of the roles that any of your favorite actors have taken from Al Pacino to, I'm boy, I'm dating myself. I don't know, Brad Pitt or Angela Joe. Look at the roles. I mean, you can't define who those people are based on the roles they take. Now, the other one that you're talking about, the other one that you're talking about, it's a disgrace that he was even invited it's a disgrace. But the but as I said, look, I, I, and I want to take some more calls. But, I, Mario, thank you, because I really appreciate your call. I want to just say what I said when I was first asked about um, Snoop Dogg and, and what I thought about Snoop Dogg performing on the Super Bowl. And it's very simple, folks. The inner has become America's toilet. Why should anybody be surprised 
what is in the toilet. Let us move on. Let us go to Jeremiah in the Bronx, New York. Jeremiah, what is on your mind? What is on my mind? The only way you're going to save this economy, because you can't stop hate. You're not going to stop hate. You're not going to uh, uh, stop homelessness, poverty. We need a flat tax. That's the only, it's the economy. You can't, you're not going to be able to save everybody. It's not going to happen. It's the economy. It's the economy. Like they say, the economy stupid. A flat tax. You tax everybody. No more. You cap up to a cap, cap it to 3%. This crypto nonsense is nonsense. The value is uh, going one day. That's going to go down. Jeremiah, we, Jeremiah, wait a minute. Our current currency is not based on gold. So let's do that. And before you call crypto nonsense, there are a lot. There are over a trillion dollars in assets in crypto. In crypto, m- more than that right now. This it look. You can stand on the sidelines and say the world is not changing. The world's not changing. The world's changing, my friend. And we're going to help explain it. Thank you for the call, though. I appreciate it. Ray, Bergen County, New Jersey. Hey, Ray. Welcome, WABC. Good morning, Mr. Golden. I'm a retired police detective, and I cringed as I watched that uh, news clip of the white kid on a couch and a black kid on the ground with a cop on top of him. The fact is, on TV, what do they usually show the most? The snippet of the most sensational thing there is. But a crucial part of this incident is what occurred when the police first arrived. Did either kid turn on the police? Did the kid sitting on a sofa like a little angel with a female cop next to him comply initially and the other kid resist and turn on the cop? If he got physical with the cop, he's going to be physically controlled, and that usually ends up on the ground. We now, must I saw the video. Let me ask you a question. I didn't see him get physical with the cop. What I do is, I, now I did see him exchanging words with the cop. I didn't see him push the cop. I didn't see him do any of that. He had words with the cop. Does that make it a confrontation or does that make it resisting? Oh, no, no. And and I didn't see something before that. We need to know everything that preceded that. If it was only words and the cops in trouble. It was only words. He did not push that officer. He did not hit that. That's just what was so disturbing about it. The cops come and immediately, this kid's standing up like, why are you coming after me? This guy hit me in the face. And if you had seen the tape before, the 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 guy's identified as Hispanic, but we everyone thought he was white at first. The guy hit him in the face, and then they started fighting. The cops come, and they throw the black guy on the, the black kid on the ground. And meanwhile, the white kid that threw the first punch is just sitting on the couch next to the cop, like, ooh, look at him, get that knee. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, anyway, let us move on. Uh, Mike, Apollo Beach, Florida. Make it quick, Mr. Mike. What's on your mind? An update on the truckers. Uh, another Trudeau thing is if you have a dog in your truck, they're going to take the dog out of your truck, put it away for eight days. After the eighth day, if you don't pay the fees, they're going to euthanize your dog. This is what's going on in the liberal, compassionate nation of Canada, where they are seizing truckers' money, where they won't let them have uh, food supplies, where they are arresting them for protesting, having the government with these draconian measures to fight a COVID pandemic that is rapidly easing around the world. And now, if I hear you right, they're going to start killing the dogs. Yep. And if they would have done it when I was driving my dog, whatever was left 
then I would take the rest of it because my dog would have torn them up. Oh, well, okay. Thank you, Mr. Mike. Appreciate that from Apollo Beach, Florida. And now the Bronx. Eric, you may get the last word because time is running out. What is your point? You got to get to it quickly. The dead bow, keeper of the flame, the golden one. This thing with the alphabet mafia and the transgenders, these women need to come about, get together. Where are the feminazis at? These females in college, they need to stop competing. They're going to come a point where they won't even get third place in these competitions. The women need to stand up, forget about the cancel culture BS, and fight back and just don't compete with them because they're they're competing by competing, they're losing, so their standards are bad. Let these guys compete by themselves. Don't compete. The other thing, cancel culture. Star Trek had the Orville on fire. Gotta run. Gotta run. We are out of time. And thus wraps up another Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Larry Kudlow's up next. We're back at 4 o'clock during the week again. Durham Report debunking the left on their trying to wipe it all away. We'll do that Monday. New York, greatest city in the world. We've got challenges. America, the greatest nation humanity has ever witnessed. Let's never forget it. God bless and protect each and every one of you and your families. We'll see you Monday at 4 here on WABC 